Welcome to Prophecy Countdown with author and pastor Kenneth Baer. Join us every week for the latest updates on what the Bible has to say about the events, the characters, and prophetic signs of the return of Jesus Christ and His coming kingdom. Make sure you not only subscribe, but like your favorite episodes and share it with your friends. Now, on with the broadcast. Welcome to Prophecy Countdown. I'm Pastor Ken. We provide uh, two updates each week, one on Wednesday and then one again on Sunday. Our Sunday updates premiere at 1 p.m., and then on Wednesdays, our updates premiere at 11 a.m. The title of my message today is Traditions, and we'll be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. You know, as the name of our podcast implies, we always have a prophecy thread in all of our teachings. We, we love answering questions, particularly that related to, to prophecy, if you have a question. Um, in fact, this is exactly how we get a lot of our topics for, uh, to, like for example, today's message. Um, we get our topics uh, from you, the listening and viewing audience. Just send us an email at prophecycountdownpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's prophecycountdownpodcast at gmail.com. Um, so today we'll, we'll be, be turn the page and we're actually going to begin in chapter 15 of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has, if you remember, Jesus has traveled to, to Galilee. He multiplied the two fish and the five loaves, fed over 5,000 because the 5,000, they only counted the men, uh, but with women and children, it could have easily been 10,000. Jesus then walked on the water, called Peter to come out to him. He calmed the sea, ended in Genezareth, and healed many, many people. But now we're in chapter 15, and chapter 15 opens with the religious leaders, uh, the grand poobahs coming in from Jerusalem, traveling all the way to Galilee to inspect this ministry, this, uh, this preacher named Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, so we'll begin reading in chapter 15, verse 1. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have had received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees didn't just come to visit Galilee. They didn't just come to hear Jesus' teaching. They came to find a way to accuse him. Uh, when we talk about the scribes and the Pharisees, we can throw the Sadducees in with that as well. We're talking about the religious leaders. And if we're talking about religious leaders, we're talking about religion. And religion is man-made. It is not God-made. God provided the Ten Commandments, but man turned it into a religion. The Jewish religious leaders um, had added to the law of God. Uh, primarily the Ten Commandments, but other, other, other laws in the, in the Bible. And they'd come up with 600 man-made laws, 600, over 600 laws. These 600 laws had become, had been, were known as the traditions or the ceremonial laws of the Jews. 
They had been passed down from rabbi to rabbi, from uh, from one generation to another, um, and then they added to them even on top of that. These religious leaders that came from Jerusalem were the enforcers of these 600-plus man-made laws. Now, again, these scribes and these Pharisees, they were the big shots. You knew they were big shots because they wore the long robes. They had tassels on the corners of their prayer shawls, and they were long so that people could see them and they could idolize them and they could be uh, shown as being very important people. Uh, they could, that's why they could easily convince the great unwashed masses of their importance. Now, they've come to Galilee to inspect Jesus and his followers and the teachings, and they're looking if any of these 600 laws, these traditions, have been broken by the disciples or by Jesus. Now, when you think about it, uh, this should not be a surprise to us because religion is really all about tradition, the traditions of man. And I, and I say this not out of a, a disrespect for religion, not at all. You know, Jesus didn't disrespect religion. He had a great respect for the Jewish culture, the traditions, the customs. However, Jesus was also suspect of these traditions. All too often, the traditions of men made the commandments of God to no effect. Jesus said this, he says, thus you have made the commandment of God to no effect by your tradition. You know, this is verse 6, and this is exactly where we get the sermon title today, Traditions. You now, as a pastor, I can tell you that I have served over the last 20-plus uh, years primarily in what's known as non-denominational churches. There's a growing tent trend in the West, particularly here in the United States, um, of non-denominational churches, and I believe it's a very healthy trend. My experience has been uh, that typically the non-denominational churches um, typically major on the, the major tenets, the primary doctrines, the core beliefs, and they minor on the minors. For example, uh, in the churches that I've had the privilege of leading, our statement of faith in the churches that I lead is the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed is an ancient creed. It's basically been in effect for over 1,400 years, 1,500 years. It goes way back, way back to the 4th or 5th century. Uh, in some form, it goes way back before that. Uh, you likely know it. Uh, possibly you know that or the Apostles' Creed, a very, very similar creed, again, going back to probably the 4th century. Uh, the Nicene Creed starts off like this. It says, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and all that is seen and unseen. And then it goes on and declares, it says, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. You know, much of the Nicene Creed is about Jesus Christ. About two-thirds of it is about Jesus Christ. This is the major tenet of our religion. It mentions, for example, his virgin birth. It says, for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. These are the major tenets of our faith. You see, this is the core. This is what we, we need to believe. But the creed is not a tradition. The creed is a creed. However, it can become a tradition 
if your church insists on reciting it, for example, at every service, you know, after the offering or something like that, you recite the, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, it becomes a, a tradition in the church. It's not bad. It's not necessarily good. It just is what it is. We can have great respect for our traditions. They teach us some things. Now, in our non-denominational churches, oh, by the way, I don't have anything against denominational churches. I really don't. They've they've done a great service over the centuries that they've been around in bringing people to God, of teaching them about holiness, of reaching the lost, building up the body of Christ. And God bless the denominations. Our denominational churches may not have as many traditions as other Christian churches, but they have their own traditions as well. And here's the point. Jesus wasn't against traditions. He was against favoring tradition over the word of God. You know, the gospel is the gospel. God never changes and the gospel doesn't change. But that doesn't mean our methods can't change. Our methods have to change in order to keep up with the, with the culture. And the culture includes the music we listen to, the, the clothes we wear, uh, and that includes the hats, both ladies' hats and men's hats. In some traditions, in some churches, you're supposed to wear a hat. In some churches, you're not supposed to wear a hat. All of, this, all of these things, all of these cultural isms easily can become a tradition in the church. And again, there's nothing wrong with tradition until you hear one, someone say, that by not wearing something or listening to something, you have lost the favor of, of God. You know, and this gets to the heart. This gets to the heart of the attack by these religious leaders on Jesus and his response. They, you know, they, they, they basically, they come to Jesus and they say, this is really a strange question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they don't wash their hands when they eat? Well, what do you mean you don't wash your hands? Well, they're not talking about washing your hands with soap and water. What they're talking about is a ceremonial washing of your hands, not even with necessary clean water, but they would wash their hands and then with great flourish, they would hold their hands up and show that they were ceremonially clean. It was just a religious ceremony. But notice how Jesus responds. Jesus answers and he says, oh, by the way, he often answers the questions of the Pharisees with a, with, with a question. I, I love that. And I think that's a great way for us to, uh, for those that attack us, for the beliefs that we have, to answer their questions with a question. Jesus actually never addressed the hand washing. Instead, he points out the problems in their own religion with a question. He says, why do you break God's commandment because of your tradition? And then he goes in and reminds them of what we know as the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Jesus continues reminding them of one of their man-made traditions. He says, Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift of God. Now, we probably need a little bit of an explanation if this is the first time you've heard this. Uh, we have to explain what Jesus is talking about, what tr this tradition is regarding a prop, what profit and a gift. There was an expectation 
at the time of Jesus among the Jewish sons, uh, and this was based on the fifth commandment, to financially support their parents in their old age. They didn't have Social Security, didn't have pensions from major companies. Um, it was a way of honoring them as providing for your father and your mother as they become elderly. However, there was a practice that developed called Corbin, and Corbin is just a Hebrew word meaning offering. And the way it would work is this, is that you could say, all of my land, all of my wealth is going to be dedicated to the temple. I dedicate it to the temple, and therefore it can't be used to support uh, my parents. And one of the things is, is interesting with this, and I did some research on this, is that could be at a, at a future date. It could be after I die, everything that I have is going to go to the temple, and as a result, I can't share it with my elderly parents who are begging for bread on the street corner. You know, Jesus wasn't having it. He, he knew what this tradition was and how it was, was being used basically to, to disavow the fifth commandment, that they should honor their father and their mother. Um, now, in the time that I have left in today's teaching, I want to address one of the most obvious traditions of men um, in our churches today that basically has left the word of God to no effect, exactly what Jesus was talking about. And the one issue I'm going to address is the issue of, of legalism. Legalism, my friend, has been a cancer in the church since the time of the apostles. It has. Legalism, you know, this word legalism is, actually is not in the Bible. It's a term that we use to point to a religious position that emphasizes a system of rules and regulations. These rules and regulations actually vary from, from one group of people, one denomination to another, and they can vary in all different, all different ways from one church to another. But in all cases, what happens is they preempt what we know as the grace and the favor of God. They supplant what we know about salvation to a system based on, on works, on following this man-made regulation. You know, the thing is, is that no man or woman was ever saved from their sin or ever came to know the one true living God because they followed man-made rules, kept a tradition, they wore a hat, or didn't wear a hat, for example. I could bring up other things, but as soon as I, I bring up other things, there's, there's people that say, no, wait a minute, you've gone too far. Lives are changed, my friends, by the living word and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul actually warns us against legalism. This is a longer piece out of uh, Colossians chapter two. It's three verses, but, but, it's, but they're good. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, since you died with Christ, to the basic principles of this word, why, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. These are all destined to perish with use because they are all based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they have no value he says they have no value in restraining sensual indulgence. You see, what Paul is saying is, let God be God. 
You are sanctified by the work of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't clean yourself up to make yourself holy. You see, that's, that's God's job. All of us come to God exactly the same way. We are all sinners. We're all beggars. All of us come as sinners before a, a holy God. You know, I mentioned the Nicene Creed earlier. I also said it's a creed, a statement of faith that majors on majors. This is what it says about Jesus. Remember I said about two thirds of the Nicene Creed is about Jesus. In one, uh, a few lines it says this, it says, he, meaning Jesus, will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. You see, my friends, I don't care whether you are pre-mill, post-mill, ah-mill, no-mill, Catholic, Baptist, Pentecostal, Lutheran, Methodist, or maybe like me, you go to one of the non-denominational churches. If you're a believer, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if the Holy Spirit is living in you, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is coming back for you. Now, you may not believe it. it, it doesn't matter. Truth is not dependent upon anybody accepting the truth. Truth is truth. It's time to get ready. The Lord is returning. The bridegroom is coming. Let's pray. So Father God, we wanna thank you, Lord, for this teaching today. We thank you, Lord, for the traditions in our church that lead us to God. And at the same time, Lord, we are suspect of the traditions in the church that lead us away from God. So Father, help us, Lord, to, to study your word, to be able to major on majors and minor on minors. We know that there's a war going on in Israel with, with Hamas. We just pray for the peace of Jerusalem. and We give you all the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Nearly every day, it's common to see, read, or hear something about the end of the world, the apocalypse, or end times. Author and pastor Kenneth Bear's The Apocalypse and Coming Kingdom zooms in and breaks down biblical prophecy as it relates to Jesus' imminent return and the coming seven-year period, including the Great Tribulation. Available in both paperback and Kindle versions. Get your copy on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble and select Christian bookstores. The title again is The Apocalypse and Coming Kingdom. You can also find it listed by author Kenneth Bear. Get your copy today.